It's so, so lovely um, to be here with you. Uh, if you don't know who I am, uh, great. Uh, my name's Nick. I am a, uh, I'm a student social worker, actually, in Bexley Borough, in the Child Protection Team. Um, I normally go to the SIG Cup evening meetings, it's called Church, um, but clearly kind of the leaders um, of the church thought that we ought to recognise Mother's Day particularly by asking the most maternal person that they knew to come and speak, the six foot five single guy. Uh, that works somehow. So kind of accordingly, we're not going to even think about Mother's Day, I'm afraid. Uh, we're going to talk about this, the Bible. Um, And I wonder what kind of um, comes into your head when you hear me say that we're going to talk about the Bible. Um, I kind of think either two things might come into your head. One, uh, you've been here before. You've heard someone at the front of church or maybe at a festival talk to you about the Bible. And you kind of had this feeling deep within you of, oh no, here we go again. I'm going to be preached at for like half an hour. And I'm going to know I'm going to need to go home and try really, really hard for a bit. But we all know where it's going to end. Like basically we're just going to go back into the normal pattern like nothing's going to happen or you might be thinking why on earth would I really care about this I mean it's like 2,000 odd years old like it speaks into context 2,000 plus years old basically why would I bother and you know what if if either of those things are in your head right now I can fully empathize with that because for a heck of a lot of my life I was exactly the same like, I would go along to church, or I'd go along to a conference, and I'd hear these amazing talks about people who read their Bibles and, like, really studied into it, and you're like, you know what, it's going to be great, like, I'm going to get up at 4 a.m., I'm going to have this time where I'm reading through Leviticus, it's going to be phenomenal, I'm then going to, like, start singing in tongues immediately afterwards, and the songbirds are going to come and rest on my arms as I worship Jesus, and it's going to be remarkable, and that really isn't what happens. Like we get up maybe half an hour earlier um, and we get, we valiantly battle through our Bible reading plan until we get to about Leviticus or Numbers and we're like, oh gosh, here we go again. The names are coming. Uh, what do I do? And equally, it's true. Like this book is known for being quite confusing and a bit weird. Seriously, like I went and studied theology for like five years and I still don't think I understand it that much better than I did at the start. Because it does contain stuff where basically you're like, what on earth is going on there? And then the extra challenge is, how on earth does this apply to my life today? And so, thank you. In all honesty, thank you for being prepared to listen to me talk for a little bit about this. And thank you, particularly if that second camp is where you stand on this. You're thinking, why would I bother with this? Because in many ways, whether for you kind of you know Jesus and you know that the Bible and you know a bit about the Bible and you kind of have that feeling, oh, I know I ought to, um, or you basically are like, why bother? I've kind of got a fairly simple answer to you as to why this thing might be worth your time. And that's this. I take the Bible seriously because I take Jesus seriously. And because I take Jesus seriously, I take what he says seriously. And if he takes this seriously, then maybe I better as well. So let's take a look. Let's see for ourselves whether Jesus actually does take this thing seriously. If you've got a Bible with you, um, flick it open to Matthew chapter 4. If you don't, it's going to come up on the screen behind me, I hope. So, Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. 
And the tempter, that's Satan, comes along and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he, that's Jesus, answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This story comes right at the start of Jesus' earthly ministry. The story so far in Matthew is that Jesus has been born, um, kind of obviously. Uh, he's grown, um, grown up as a kid. We don't know too much about that. A couple of stories here and there, but he's gone through kid. And then he's been baptized. That's kind of about all that's happened in his life so far that we know of. And so this is like the first thing that really goes on. It's almost kind of like this test, I guess, in a lot of ways by Satan to go, you know what, are you really who you say you are? And so Jesus um, is in the wilderness. He's doing a fast, not like giving up chocolate for Lent sort of fast, but he's doing like 40 days without food. Like he's going to be tired. He's going to be hangry. He's going to be like wanting food more than anything else. And actually kind of on that, a really remarkable verse inside of those, um, inside of those verses is that verse 2, which says, and he was hungry. Just think about that for a moment. Because often we can have this conception of Jesus in our heads where he's like this kind of superhuman, doesn't feel anything, God, basically. You're like, God up there, not like me. But actually here we're told he gets hungry. We're told elsewhere that he's tired. We're told that he cries. He weeps. He feels. Just think about that. That proves that we come to a God who knows what it's like to be like us. Every other major world religion has kind of this God who's up there way in the sky who we get ourselves to. Christianity has a God who's hungry, who cries, who's tired. Jesus was fully human. And so that means, just like Hebrew says, that he can, he can empathize with us. He knows what it's like to be with us. So my encouragement today is if you feel down and out of it, actually come to one who the Bible reveals as knowing what it's like. Anyway, that's just a little aside. Um, but the devil kind of recognized that Jesus is hungry. And so he goes straight in for the jugular. Like, he goes straight in for the hunger ploy. So he goes in and says, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. I mean, it's more than possible if we think about it. Jesus, son of God, like he's, the, he's God, so that means he spoke, let there be light, and the sun, like 27 million degrees of it came into existence. He's also the same guy who has a bit of a habit of feeding people with like fish and bread, like 2,000 people or five loaves and two fish. Like stones to bread isn't that hard. I mean, we just heard about Easter Sunday. Like he dies on Good Friday, breathes his last, and then three days later gets up and starts walking around. If he can do death, changing a stone into bread isn't that hard for him. And it would be very easy for him in many ways. I'm sure he was thinking, you know what, a freshly baked loaf, I would be all over that right now. <laughs> oh boy, 40 days. Whew. Put some jam on that like we're talking. This is wonderful. But what does he do? He picks up his Bible and says, it is written, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus, God himself, picks up this Bible and I guess metaphorically, stroke, literally slaps Satan around the face with it and says to him, no, this isn't about my physical needs being met. There's something far deeper, far more searching that humans need to understand and that's that there's a spiritual need which needs to be fulfilled first. That even if my physical needs will be met, actually, no, 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 there's something more than that. And that is to know who I am before the Father. 
to know really who it is that I am. Jesus chooses a verse from Deuteronomy and does that. Jesus takes the Bible seriously. If nothing else in this talk, remember that. Remember that Jesus views this as powerful enough to to counteract anything that the devil would throw you away to try and distract you. It's why we run things like the Freedom in Christ course here, Freed for Purpose, because what we believe is that so often we have lies coming into our minds telling us things that aren't true about us, and actually by replacing it with truth, by replacing it with the things of the word, we can say, get out of me, Satan. Get out of me, all these lies. That's why getting this into you is so important on a daily basis, because then you know what's really true about you rather than what's actually false. How do I know that? Because Jesus does it two more times. You can go and read the rest of the story when you get home, Matthew 4, or Luke 4, actually, as well. Twice more, Satan comes along and tries to tempt Jesus into sinning, into into doing something that God wouldn't have him. Twice more, what does Jesus do? Picks this up and refutes him, challenges him back. And guess where he picks from? Deuteronomy. Three times. You know that book of the Bible which kind of is up there with Leviticus as the ones which we don't really like to read? If Jesus views Deuteronomy as powerful enough to defeat Satan three times, I reckon I can probably bash through it in my Bible reading plan. Just saying. Jesus views all of this, every single part of it, as important. And so for me that tells you that, you know what, even if it's getting tough and I don't necessarily understand it, there's going to be something in there that's good for me. And so as I was thinking about this... um, I'm thinking about kind of the way that Jesus uses Bible, saying, you know what, this is enough for me. I thought, you know what, why don't we? Why don't we go back to that original Deuteronomy passage that Jesus picks up from? So, uh, if you've got your Bibles again, flick a long, long way back to the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy. Uh, We're going to be looking at Deuteronomy 8 this time. Uh, So, you know what, I'll quickly um, fill you in on what's going on. Uh, So Deuteronomy uh, comes kind of a little bit later in the story of Israel. So what's happened so far is that Genesis has happened. God has created created the world. Uh, He has set humans up as his image bearers there. And what that means is that we as humans are to be like him to the world around us. We're to take all that is good from God and extend it further. That is what Adam and Eve's task was. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it is God's way of saying, you are my witnesses here. You are my ambassadors. You are going to be like me to the world. So take, extend, make things that are good flow in abundance. But what happens? Humans stuff it up. You've basically got the story of the Bible in about two sentences there. God's good, we stuff it up. Genesis through to Revelation. But God doesn't end there. Genesis 4, what does he say? He promises that there will come out of Eve one who will crush Satan's head once and for all. He promises a wounded saviour. Even in that moment, God is saying, I'm about restoring. I'm about bringing you back into the place which you were meant to be. He promises Jesus from the get-go. Anyway, the story goes on. Genesis 12, what happens? God picks up a guy called Abraham out of nowhere, basically, and says, in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. By that, he's saying, you're going to go back to the state that you were in once once before, that you're going to have right relationship with me again. That in you, your descendants, all the world will see that I really am God, and that good things flow from relationship with me. 
And so uh, Abraham's descendants become the people of Israel, the nation of Israel. And they find themselves about 400 years later in Egypt. We're up to Exodus now. Don't worry, we will kind of get quicker. Um, and, uh, and they find themselves in slavery in Egypt, being oppressed. So God calls a murderous, exiled coward called Moses, who's out uh, farming some sheep. And he, and he says, you are going to be the guy by which I lead them into the promised land that I'd said to Abraham. God does this. The whole Exodus thing's happened. You can read about it in, at the start of Exodus. Uh, the, ten, uh, the ten plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea, all these remarkable things, and Israel are free. And then they go on a bit of a journey. For 40 years, they're strolling around in the wilderness doing what should have been an 11-day journey. Why? Remember the original story? God is good. Humans stuff it up. That's happening, 40 years worth of it. But then finally, 40 years later, Israel stands on the banks of the River Jordan. They're looking at Canaan, the promised land that God had had for them. And we're up to Deuteronomy. And so what is happening is that Moses is standing before them and basically kind of like giving his last kind of commands to them. He knows he's going to die soon. And so he's saying to them, this is what really matters. Let's tell you this again. That's literally what Deuteronomy means. Deutero, second, nomus, law. A second reading of what's important. And so he's saying that... All of this stuff that we're finding here is absolutely crucial for Israel as they function in their new land. So, Deuteronomy 8, let's have a look. The whole commandment that I command you today, you should be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. You should remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he may humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Recognize that? It's what Jesus said. Also, as a quick point, when, he, when it says man in the Bible, read man or woman. It's just like the old-fashioned language. It does mean everyone. Your clothing did not wear out on you. And your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. It's a good land. Let's take that. And you shall eat and you shall be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Take care though, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and you're full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up And you forget that the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, 
who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you out, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness, that manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly swear, solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. There's basically two thrusts that Moses is saying to Israel there. The first is that he's saying to them, remember, remember all that God would give them. He's reminding them that God has kept them fed for 40 years, that over the 40 years they've lacked nothing. Yeah, they haven't been like having an abundance of stuff, but they've had enough. That through it all, God was humbling them and saying to them that you might know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the word of God. Recognize that is exactly the same as Jesus was saying. It's not enough to have your physical needs met. There's a deeper thing that you need to get sorted out. There's a deeper thing that you need to understand. And that is knowing who you really are according to what God would have said over you. Remember that. Remember him. The second point that Moses makes is this. Israel stands on the banks of the River Jordan. And they're looking into this promised land. And it's a good land. Like we heard it. Fig trees, pomegranates honey, raw materials for them to make houses out of, wealth in abundance to come. It's a good, good land. All that they could want, all that they could desire would be found for them. But Moses is saying, take care. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God inside of this and don't obey his commandments. Moses is saying to Israel, just be careful that you don't become what the Bible calls idolatrous. That is put other things in place of God's. Pretending that they are the real reasons by which you're able to live, by which you're blessed in the way that you are. For Israel, there's a very present reality that they were going into a land full of all sorts of other gods, people like the female fertility goddess Asherah or Baal. But equally for them, they could equally think that they were doing something right. That once they had that, like, that good house that they built themselves, they like, you know what, I'm a decent builder. Like, this has gone well for me. Or look at my herd. Like, this is going well. Like, it's gone well. I've bred them well right now. Like, we are getting a lot of milk. It's going well for us. Or actually, I've got cash reserves. Like, this has gone well. Like, look at me. Aren't I great? Actually, this, I've done some work here. Am I saying, no, 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 no. Don't get confused that when your physical needs are being found, that you forget where actually it all comes from. Because ultimately, if you go too far down that path, Moses says to Israel, only death and destruction will follow you. And now I get that you might well be thinking that as fascinating it is to know what a guy called Moses uh, was speaking to a culture about 3,000 years ago, probably not that relevant 
for today might be going through your head. What has that got to do with me? Equally, you might really want to hear about the female fertility goddess Asherah. And as much as I'd love to go into that, we're not going to go there, uh, fortunately. <laughs> um, because I actually, I think that Deuteronomy chapter 8 speaks to us in exactly the same way as it spoke to Israel. And it speaks to us as both a church, but also as individuals. We, um, we're part of this sermon series called Move. Um, and what that's about is, is it's kind of God's giving a prophetic sense and a kind of a, a nudging to us as a church just to have, I guess, what you could call a health check. To go, are we actually in the place that we think we're in? And... We really believe, um, and I'm convinced of this because it's the way that the Bible speaks, that the best really is yet to come for us, both as individuals but also as a church. In many ways, what I believe is that we are are just like Israel, and particularly I feel this for you as the welling venue here, that we're standing on our own banks of the River Jordan, that we're here, we're finally here in welling. We've gone, we've recognised that there are, are, I don't know how many thousand people are in welling. Joe, help her. 40? 40 odd thousand people in Welling and we want to go and we want to we want to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to them that in the boroughs around us in in uh, Sickup Elton Welling the the Greenwich uh, Bromley Bexley there are 880,000 people who the vast majority of whom as it stands at the moment don't know Jesus as Lord and that means that as it stands are destined for eternity away from him But yet equally we know through this that God is a God who desperately and passionately loves them, pursues them to the ends of the earth enough to die for them and does not want any single one of them to perish away from him. We know that. And we're seeing the first fruits of that through things like being able to partner more and more with organisations and churches in the local area, running things like an oasis group even here inside of Welling. It's amazing, it's really exciting. You're back in Sydney, well, you do the winter night shelter here as well, don't you? We're seeing the first fruits of all of this, but there's so much more yet to come. I do not believe that the number of people in this side of this room are the total that God wants to reach inside of Welling or the other churches in Welling. There's more to come. But I feel like God would say to us inside of all of that, take care, lest you forget who you really are. Take care lest you forget my commandments. And I believe also as well that the best is yet to come as individuals. Because the primary way that God has always been about uh, reaching out to people is not actually through organizations or structures. No, it's through people. People like you. That God wants to use every single person inside this room to shine out to the world around them. You are an image bearer of Christ, just the same way that Adam and Eve were. That you are the person by which God's light and who he is shines out to the world around you. Whether that's at the school gate with your kids, whether that's in the workplace, whether that's just in the family home. God wants to use you on a life full of adventure. Whatever it is, whatever you do, shine is what we heard a few months back. That's so true because God loves your day-to-day life and he wants to use you inside of it. Because boy, does the world need God's light to come into it. You see, we live in this age in a society where, uh, where basically our physical needs can be really met. We can have a whole bunch of stuff so easily and accessibly. I mean, think about literally physical needs, food, clothing, all that sorts of stuff. If you need eggs, you go to the supermarket and buy them. If you need milk, you go and buy it. If you need new clothes, you go along to the high street and you buy it or you do it online. 
instant, quick. We don't even have to like milk a goat for our milk. Like our physical needs are being met more than at any other time inside of the world. And we have all these voices telling us about what it is that should make us happy, what it is that should be driving us forward and giving us fulfillment inside of life. We hear that if you have the latest phone, if you, if you have a great holiday, if you, I don't know, if you, if you have a great relationship, all these things will make you happy. Your physical needs will be met. We live in a society which we're told that freedom, happiness, fulfillment is only about being who you want to be, doing what you want to do, whatever makes you happy. Actually, no one can take that away from you. And woe betide anyone if they say anything that offends you inside of it. The whole cultural story around gender dating relationships is exact proof of this. If you can just be with the right person for the right amount of time, you'll be happy. Just express yourself in the way that you want to. Then all your problems will go away. We're told that the happy life, I guess, is one that is having a great job, a great relationship, normally filled with lots of sex, amazing experiences on a daily basis, loads of friends, plenty of cash in the bank, great coffee all the time. And if, you're of, and if you're of kind of my generation, having a strong social media presence as well. If you get those things, you've done well. Good work, you. We're presented this idea that we are in the most liberated, the most free, the most, uh, I don't know, equal society that there has ever been. Constantly progressing, constantly changing for the better. But yet, how is it that actually we're also in the most deeply unhappy and deeply unfulfilled society that I think there's ever been? How is it that we live in a society where a quarter of girls at the age of 14 are diagnosed with a mental health disorder like depression? How is it that teenagers are turned away from the doctors for help for eating disorders because they're deemed not thin enough? How is it that we live in a society where despite all those apparently great things that the biggest killer of men under the age of 50 is suicide and that works out at 12 men every single day taking their lives? That's not the way that it was meant to be. I'm convinced of that. How is it that we live in a society where there will be a generation of boys and girls who grow up without fathers because men didn't want to stick around for the commitment. Where young people grow up thinking that the way that I'll be happy is kind of just getting with people as and when I want. Probably the hardest conversation I've had as a social worker for me emotionally was with a 13-year-old boy where um, he, we basically were just chatting about what his goals in life were. And he ended up saying to me, you know what, Nick? basically just want to sleep with lots of women and be strong enough to be anyone who gets in my way. 13 years old and his entire concept of what success means to him is viewing women as objects and strength as the marker of success. Now, yes, that is toxic masculinity and we need to challenge that. But actually, it's also the byproduct of the culture that we live in. Be who you want to be. Do what you want to do. Woe betide anyone who gets in my way about that. Where women and girls grow up viewing that their bodies are the thing that give them value and meaning. 
cheaply giving it away for the whims of boys and men. That cannot be the way that it was meant to be. That cannot be the end of the story. Our physical needs might be met. Our emotional needs, our relational needs, our spiritual needs. I have to say, if I'm really honest, when I think about these things, I really don't think that they are. Something has to change. And that, for me, I believe, has to be found inside of this. Because we carry the voice of God inside of us that wants to speak a better story into each and every single one of those situations. We carry the words of God himself who would say, I love you enough to go to the ends of the earth to prove it to you by dying on a cross you so that you might know ultimately who you are. That you might find all your fulfillment. You might find all your cravings. You might find all your satisfaction inside of me knowing that I do not change. That I'm the person who will never let you down. This is a constant that does not change and tells us the better story than the one that the world would have for us. Ultimately, it speaks of a God who speaks into the broken world and says, you know what, I will make all things new. A day when inequality will be no more because every nation of every tribe of every colour will stand around the throne and sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain where mental health, where illness, where cancer is cast out into the lake of self with Satan and all of his cronies and never again curse and plight the world again. That is a better story. And we are charged with being the people who take it to the world around us. We simply cannot know it well enough. And that is why Moses and Jesus says, man and woman cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If you really want to know who you are, get this inside of you. Read it, learn it, study it, share it, and obey it. Because that old me is where the rubber hits the road inside of this. I know how flaky I am. I know that I can um, at one moment feel like I'm soaring, feel like that everything's going amazingly, I'm pumped for life, maybe that might coincide with being close to Jesus than I ever have before in my life. But at other moments I can just wallow. I can just feel hopeless and a bit desperate and a bit flaky all the time. I need a constant that isn't going to change. I know that I hear voices all the time from the world around me. Even the music I listen to on Spotify is telling me something that isn't actually true for me. Instead, knowing the constant that is God's word, knowing that it comes from one who says directly himself, I am not like a man that I should lie and change my mind. This is a constant and a rock that which we can build our life upon that does not change and we cannot know it well enough because yes, it both speaks life but it also does challenge us as well. It is primarily this that speaks to me of the wretchedness and the sinfulness inside of me but also the heights and the breadths of God's love and assurance and approval and acceptance of me. We cannot know it well enough. I see this now on a daily basis. I, um, I, I work with, with people and families where there's such hurt inside of them, such brokenness and difficulty, where there's just layer upon layer of mess that you dig further and further down and you're just like, how are you keeping on going? And if it's hard for me, then it must be unbearable for them. 
but also because I've been able to open this up for myself. I see in my day-to-day life a Jesus who says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to speak comfort to those who mourn. I know that because of that, because of this book, that as I go about my life, God is wanting to use me to take that same message. And so I'm encouraged that my day-to-day life can be different, can be impactful, can change things. It also speaks to me about wisdom, wisdom uh, for my life. Things like knowing, aiming to live within my means, not overstretching myself financially, not getting inside of debt. It's inside of God's words where I see hope for struggles that I might feel as a single person. Knowing that Jesus says, I am enough for that. I see that God has a plan and that God always uses people, whether that's for me inside of the office, inside of a home, or out on the football field. Wherever it is, walking around the high street, he's wanting to use me for his glory and his purposes. I recognize myself now that this has changed everything for me because suddenly I know who I am. I am the way that I am because I know what God says over me. Hallelujah, because frankly, I would be in bits otherwise. But what about you? What's your relationship with this book? With God's word? Do you look beyond your physical needs and get this inside of you? Because actually there's no easy way around it. There's no polite way of putting it. It's just something you have to do. I'm sorry, but that's the blunt, honest reality of it. There's this wonderful passage inside of John 15 where um, Jesus starts to speak about, uh, about uh, the way in which he loves us. And he talks about how greater love has no man than to lay down his life for his friends. Amazing stuff that the God of the universe would start to speak about how we're not servants, we're not like his minions, we're not slaves, we're friends. That's mad. That's unreal. But then he says this. You are my friends if you obey my commandments. If you're prepared to admit that, you know what, maybe he has a responsibility over me. He's a right to speak into my life. That actually, in light of the Christ event, in light of all that Jesus does for you, the thing that he wants is your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Ultimately, he wants your obedience There's no polite way of saying it. If Jesus comes along and says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the the mouth of God, that's him basically saying, take this up and read it. And there's no two ways about it. Jesus says this is important. Are you prepared to say the same? If we take Jesus seriously, we have to take what he says seriously. And if he takes this seriously then it challenges me that I maybe ought to as well. Find time for it. I can guarantee you that you will be able to. There'll be 10 minutes in your day where you can sit down and just open up a little bit and try and get God's word inside of you, inside these other voices that flow around. If you struggle with reading it, listen to it. There are some amazing apps that do it. If you struggle with listening to it, get a picture Bible. Like, and then you'll probably get so fed up with the stories inside of it that you'll want to graduate onto the main course. <laughs> Whatever it does to take to get this inside of you, try it. See it. Do it. Jesus says, man shall live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Ultimately, for me, 
in my life, I realized it came down to that challenge of, do I actually value this? Do I actually think that this could have an impact on my life? Do I think it's worth my time? And I know that I say that as a single guy. I know that I say it as someone where, frankly, I don't have that many demands on my time. Um, like, it's quite easy for me to get up for, like, an hour and a half before I need to go to work and not be disturbed for 10, 15 minutes. Because if one of my housemates did, I'd just tell them to go away. Like, with little kids running around, it's a little bit harder. I admit that. Um, but I believe it is possible. Even as I was thinking about this and praying about this, I, I was chatting to some friends, and I had one friend who's got, a, I think he's one now, a little boy, and she said how she's changed her afternoons patterns so that when he's napping, instead of going out for like a coffee and he's in the stroller, she'd just be at home so that she can spend time with Jesus. I had another friend who, was, who has um, four kids, kind of ranging around like three to nine, and, and she she was saying how for her to be honest she just listens to the bible when she's like in the bath or having a shower because for her that's a place of like undisturbed it's a place where she can not be disturbed for a while i know friends who are commuters going to london where instead of just catch up on netflix or reading whatever's on bbc news for the 12th time they'll pick up their bibles on their phone and have a read of what's it saying for that day if if you have time in your life to be able to catch up on Netflix, go out for coffee with people, or, or, or basically do anything, if we actually put this as something that's important, we can find time for it. That ultimately is the blunt reality of it. It's doable, no matter the season of your life. You just ultimately have to decide that this is worthwhile and worth your time. And I think that's where community comes in the most. It's why as a church we, we're always pushing community. At the back there are some booklets uh, which have got community on the front. There are a whole bunch of uh, kind of small groups and, and just places where you can hang out and chat. Where people can encourage you about your walk with this. Encourage you uh, to help you read it. Where you can turn around to someone and say, you know what, where do you think I should start? Or could you just help me with this? Could we maybe read a bit together? Or actually, you know what, next week, just ask me. How's it going? Like, how are you finding the Bible? Has anything cropped up which you don't get or, or actually has really encouraged you? That's why doing it with other people, life with other people is so important because they can help us out where we need it. But so, that, but so that kind of I don't leave you with kind of like this challenge of read the Bible but no practical tips, I just want to share a few things that have really helped me out in my life as I've started to read the Bible more and more. Um, the first one is this. Try and find that routine which you can stick to. I know it can be hard, but if you have something inside of your life where you know you'll be doing it every single day, then that can be a really prime time. For me, breakfast, over my breakfast, is, a really, is the time when I open up my Bible and I have a read. Guys, if you're one of those people who spends like 10 minutes on the loo, there's an opportunity. Just saying. <laughs> Next, start small. Don't, don't, Please don't go and think, you know what, Nick told me that I have to read the Bible. So I'm going to start Genesis and I'm going to read like 30 chapters a day and then I'll read Exodus tomorrow and then we'll go and we'll get it all done in like two months. That'll be great sort of thing. If you can do that, please let's talk. Like I want to learn to do that, please. Like if you can just consume this thing, like that's amazing. Like so well done you. For me, that doesn't work that well. Like and for me, just, just pick a book and like work through a chapter a day. Just read like one chapter, that's it. If you've never read the Bible before or you're wanting to start to dig in, my big encouragement, start with Jesus. Go to like one of the Gospels, one of the eyewitness accounts of him 
so that you can see yourself, is he worth taking seriously inside of this? Luke would be a great place to start. Then maybe you could read Acts after that and see how the church functions. Um, next, uh, pray about it. That one helps. We've got, the, we've got a Holy Spirit who's called the helper living inside of us. And so that means that like, he's going to wanting to point you towards Jesus. I mean, it's kind of what Jesus says he's all about, is pointing people towards him. So as you come to the Bible, go, Holy Spirit, you know what? Help me. Help me see Jesus a little bit here. Help me to actually view this as important. Help me to see something from my day that's going to help me out. Ask yourself some questions as you read it. For me, um, I ask myself four questions every single day when I read the Bible. Um, The first is, how does this help me love God more? What does this teach me about God that I can worship in? Adoration. Next, I ask, what does this teach me about me? And that's basically repentance normally. Where do I not live up to this? Next, I ask, where do I see Jesus inside of this? Or what's the bit of the gospel that speaks this into me? So kind of like a gospel truth is the heading that I write under. And then finally, I go, how would my life change if, if I applied this? What would be different? Kind of like an aspiration, I guess, in a lot of ways. So adoration, repentance, gospel truth. An aspiration, just four questions which I asked myself, which really helped me just to think more than just what's going on inside of this. Next, share it. Get excited about this. If you see something that really blows your mind, share it with people. Basically, that's what I did with Deuteronomy. Like I saw it, and I was like, this is amazing. Like, let's talk about this. One of the biggest blessings of my life at the moment is that a bunch of guys um, from Six Scott Church, we just meet and pray on Wednesday mornings. We, come, uh, we, ga- we gather together at like 7 a.m., so you can tell like as 20-year-olds, like, this is weird. Um, we meet and we eat bacon and we pray, so we call it praking. Thank you, it works. Um, and what's amazing and so encouraging and such a blessing is that each week a different person shares what God's chatting to them about inside their life. And this week... Um, I had one of my friends called John um, just so helpfully shared so vulnerably about mental health for a little bit. Just really challenged us to rethink our perspectives around it because, because that's what God had been sharing to him about because he'd been struggling with it admittedly but because he wanted to encourage the rest of us from the word of God. Massively helpful. If God starts to put something in you from the Bible, talk about it to someone. I can guarantee you that they'll be encouraged by it. That's what community, again, is about. And then finally, um, I found it really helpful, particularly when I wanted to start out reading the Bible, to do it with someone else, um, to maybe just turn around to someone who's a little bit further along in, in their like, walk with the Bible than me and just say, you know what, can we just try this together? Like, could we meet up and maybe read it together? Maybe that way like, you could share what you think it's saying and I can talk about what I'm what I'm saying and I can tell you if I think you're being an idiot and you can tell me if I think if you think I'm being an idiot or actually just how does this make me worship God more really helpful to do it with other people around you community again even just as simple for me like if you're married or um or kind of uh, yeah have kids whatever it is or even housemates do it alongside someone else I can for two reasons one you can share what's going on and two it's amazing for accountability because like I read my bible every morning over breakfast sitting next to me is my housemate Ethan doing exactly the same thing so he knows if I pull my phone out and it starts to flick through BBC Sport because he's reading his bible I feel challenged to read my bible as well super helpful doing it with other people trust me
Whatever it is that takes it, takes you to get this into you and read it, my biggest encouragement is just do it. I can guarantee you that your life will be transformed inside of it. Mine certainly has. Because you'll learn more about yourself. You'll learn more about God. You'll learn more about how God would want to use you. I was saying earlier that I had the sense that, that God would be speaking to us as a church, and particularly for you as a venue, that, that we're on the cusp of what he would really want you to walk into. But just like Moses would say to Israel, he would say, take care. Just check yourself. Because ultimately, it comes down to this. Keep your head up. Focus in on what matters. Don't just settle for your physical needs being met. Know who you are. And the best way of doing that, well, Jesus says it himself. Man and woman shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Ultimately, I take the Bible seriously because I take Jesus seriously. And if he takes this seriously, then I feel like I probably better as well. And if you've never opened up the Bible before in your life, and you still think there is a whole bunch of nonsense from 2,000 years ago, you are so welcome here. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here and listening to me waffle for half an hour. That's an amazing achievement. Well done. Um, But we'd love to invite you to start and look at it yourself. Like, I know that somehow we'll be able to source a Bible for you, I'm sure. Like, we'll give you one. Like, we'll work it out somehow. But why not have a look yourself? See, actually, is this guy Jesus that 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 guy Nick had been talking about for so long actually worth my time to think about, to, to, to take seriously? Have a look at one of the Gospels, one of those eyewitness accounts, and go... Could this actually be true? Ultimately, I think whoever you are, you'll find all the answers inside of this.